leading your own business and your own team is a very different beast and the pressure's really on. I'm really conscious that I don't take that privilege lightly, that I do have the livelihoods of people on my shoulders. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to say a big thank you to our series sponsors, Alchemist. Alchemist is an industry-leading learning and development company whose learning journeys and experiences help organizations such as John Lewis, Sony, and the NHS who want to grow, change, or transform by putting the learner first to optimize organizational performance. We've been huge fans of Alchemist for years and really admire the way in which they approach blended learning that allows people to explore concepts and ideas in a new and unique way. To find out more about Alchemist and the way they work with organizations, head over to thisisalchemist.com forward slash 40 Minute Mentor. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. Today, I'm joined by Anouk Agasol, the founder and CEO of Unleashed. Unleashed are on a mission to gear up early stage and scaling companies for speedy and sustainable success through people and culture. They help create thriving businesses and great places to work, something we can fully get on board with at JBM. In fact, we're massive fans of the work that Anouk and the Unleashed team are doing and are very proud to have collaborated with them over the years. We've previously had Anouk join us for a people and talent focused JBM SOS fireside chat and are so pleased that she agreed to share her story and mentorship with you all today. So Anouk, thank you so much for coming back and getting involved with another JBM content, but this time is 40 Minute Mentor. So how are you? I'm really well, thank you. And thank you for having me here. I actually love this podcast and I've listened to a lot of episodes over the time. So quite honoured. Oh, thank you. Well, that's lovely to hear. Um, And I'm absolutely buzzing for our listeners to learn more about you. So to get you warmed up, we'll do our normal quickfire round. So if you could finish the following sentences after me, that would be great. First up, I grew up wanting to be a paediatrician and very specifically a paediatric surgeon, but unfortunately, uh, secondary school chemistry scuppered those plans. Oh, wow. Can I ask why a paediatrician? Is that a family thing or is that something you saw on TV that inspired you? No. So I had a, unfortunately died in about seven years ago. I had a, a mentally and physically disabled brother and I was always very keen to try and fix him. He was nine years older than me, but I always saw him as my little brother because he was so challenged. So I always wanted to try and fix him. And because I couldn't fix him, I wanted to fix any other sick kid that I possibly could get my hands on. So I'd wanted to be a pediatrician since I was about three, actually, although I couldn't pronounce the word terribly well. Children's doctor was just fine. (laughs) Oh, now it makes total sense. So that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing your story. A misconception people have about me is? That I'm really confident. I am willing, I've got to say, to give anything a go, which does come with an amount of confidence, but I do spend my time being a nervous wreck <laughs> before I do anything, especially anything to do with in the public eye. So my confidence isn't as high as people think it is. 
Wow. I would, again, you'd never know that. You're always so articulate and uh, engaging. I think that's really important for people to hear because there's probably lots of listeners today that will have, you know, imposter syndrome and be nervous of putting themselves out there. And it's good to know that sometimes the people that outwardly seem the most confident have many of the same sort of nervousness and uh, anxiety around public speaking. That's Thank you for sharing. Imposter is definitely a big part, I think, for most founders, actually, and most people generally, as they progress in kind of their careers and the work that they do, that, that plays a really big part, wondering if you're good enough or, or why you and I haven't had that one coming onto this, this program, thinking, oh my gosh, he's got some really good people as guests coming on here and has invited me, like, and that got my heart rate up. <laughs> Really, that's oh well. I think it's uh, it's really good to talk about these things, and I'm really glad you said that because I think that was going to help some of our listeners that it's okay to feel that way before you do things. The last time I cried was when. So I wish I could, I could say there were happy tears, but actually it was last week when I was told that I was working too much and therefore not being a good enough mum. I've also actually been told the reverse, where I have too much time with the children, but not enough time at work. So it's a very difficult lose-lose situation sometimes being a mum and a, a founder. Oh, I, I can totally resonate with that. And I think mums particularly have it much harder than dads, to be honest with you. I, you know, I know my wife has um, felt that way before and you always feel like you're letting somebody down, particularly when you're a, you're a founder of your own business and that's your other baby. And in some ways you've got to put bread on the table and that requires hard work and grind and sometimes uh, it can come at a cost. I've had those moments myself to be honest with you and again I think I'd like to think the world is becoming more sympathetic to parents and founders and that it's okay to be a founder and a parent and prioritize family but unfortunately that I think that conflict will always be there won't it and I think uh, it's just part of parenthood but never easy never easy. It's never easy. It's a bit of an internal conflict. I think sometimes the environment in which you work might be really supportive of you being able to do everything, but still internally you have, is it enough one way? Is it enough another way? Is there ever going to be a balance? And I think there's almost the requirement of an acceptance of, I will feel guilty. I'm making the best decision I can at the time. And that's just going to have to be okay. And I'm going to have to be okay with that because I don't think you can ever get it right kind of internally. Very true. No, thank you. If there was one thing I could change about entrepreneurship, it would be? The misconception that you need to do everything at pace, no matter the consequences. That's a very good one. As somebody that is always kind of go, 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 uh, I, I definitely <laughs> have made that mistake before rushing into things, whether it's hiring or whether it's big strategic decisions for the business, getting overexcited. Definitely that magpie approach has, has caught me out a couple of times. So that's very, very wise words. of. Uh... And finally, my biggest failure to date is? So this goes back, I think, to the personal work slight dilemmas. And I'd have to say that for my biggest failure to date is actually last year where I had to take a lot of time out of my business for some kind of very big personal reasons and not actually realizing the impact that had on the team and the business. Not because I'm not replaceable, we, we all are, but because I think I didn't realize that in very specific areas, I was valuable in a specific way. I think in trying to navigate personal and work life, I did become unreliable and reliability used to always be one of my strengths. And that, of course, kind of then impacts trust. It has made me think, and this is, you know, the great thing about failure, but it has made me think on a personal belief that I have always had around vulnerability and being able to share everything, you know, really openly. And I'm a very open person. 
quite naturally. But actually, I think when others' expectations of it are that you are there for them as a consistent constant in their lives and you're not, then that can be really damaging for different aspects. And I've got to say that's kind of really played out in both my personal and work life over the course of last year. Oh, well, thank thank you for sharing that, Anouk. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And uh, I think this is one of the most challenging things of, of founder life, isn't it? That life continues. You've got a business from regardless and, and there's, you know, stuff in the personal life may go wrong and there'll be challenges you have to face. And sometimes you just have to step away. But I guess it's a, a, that that will always have a knock on effect. And um, I've seen other founders that have kind of continually run away from confronting some of those personal things in their lives, which need, frankly, them to just to step away and deal with them. And that can often be much, much worse in terms of the longer impact for them personally and their businesses but it's not easy and I think again I'm sure there's people listening to this that that might be in that sort of dilemma at the moment but I think I know from the team that I've met uh, in your team that they're incredibly understanding and also have huge love and admiration for you as a founder so I can understand why you not being around as much could be challenging but you know it's, it's great to see you back and uh, you know sharing your story with us today because uh, you've built something so incredible at Unleashed and I'd love love for our listeners to hear all about it but we're going to start just with a quick whistle stop tour of your cv in it for those that don't know you fill us in on kind of how you've got to where you are today and yeah what initially got you interested in the people function if i think back my early days were really varied it included working in a large hotel this is back in melbourne where i grew up in recruitment and training because i dropped out of my first degree and i started working I then decided to go back to university and complete a degree and later a master's before moving to the UK and actually working as cabin crew because I really wanted to travel and experience different cultures, but I didn't have any money to travel. So I thought, what job can I get where I can earn money whilst I travel? And that was hands down the best couple of years you know, I had traveling and earning money. But my real career really started when I got into people and culture, obviously. I was a single mum at the time to a baby boy. He's no longer a baby. He's almost 17 this year. And uh, the first role that I had in that time was what I would call traditional nature, heavily focused on employee relations, far more transactional and employment law focused than I ever uh, enjoyed. So I moved out of that. It wasn't for me. And I wanted because I wanted to help. And this is kind of where Unleash comes in later on down the line. But I really wanted to help to build great businesses where people could work and they could learn at. I joined a company that took a chance on me and quickly progressed into a head of people role, scaling this particular business from 250 people to 1,000 people and learned a whole lot along the way. But we also won some like best places to work awards along the way, which was really uh, exciting as well. I then joined a Series B tech startup as their chief people officer. And it was there that I was really inspired to start Unleashed. Um, and that May of 2017, that's exactly what I did. And, and I haven't looked back since. Amazing. I didn't realize you worked in cabin crew as well. I, I love, I love hearing about the, uh, yeah, the such a diverse career story to get to where you are today. That's fascinating. Thank you. For anyone that's listening to this, that might be thinking about a career in people, why is it such a good place to start and then grow a career in? Because we're seeing it's becoming increasingly popular as a destination. So yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I, I agree that it's becoming more and more popular. I've got to say that there are very few people, certainly when I started out, and certainly even now who as children dream as a career in people and culture, it's not really a thing. Most people do fall into it rather than going into it planned, but that's not universal. And as, as you mentioned, that, that is actually changing. 
typically what we've seen is that people might start their careers in admin, ops or recruitment and then kind of move into the people and culture side of things. I think overall there's kind of two main routes to senior leadership in this space. Either you're a senior leader in say an ops or marketing function or sales function or finance or kind of and then you kind of wrap your arm around the people side of things because you're interested in that space or you do your kind of slightly more linear trajectory of admin coordinator lead manager so on and so forth. The senior people role these days as opposed to what we view as kind of more traditional HR is actually really really exciting in the right business and although it isn't always it should be part of the leadership team and the individual should have a great understanding of the business holistically, which is where I think sometimes people fall down. They kind of try and have the skills only for the people and culture piece and forget the importance of being commercial, of being business-minded, of making sure that your people strategy is completely entwined with your business strategy. You know, they, they shouldn't be separate. You need to understand marketing in order to be able to great, attract great talent, sorry. You need to understand sales to be able to recruit them, product for designing and building incredible experiences, customer success for engaging and so on. So really, in those roles, what makes it super exciting is that you understand all aspects of business and you use that for your internal clients. Such great advice. And you can really see how much variety and impact you can have, you know, by building a career in people. And, and we've seen increasingly with our clients that, you know, there, there are always now people or there should be, and we'd certainly be nervous if there wasn't, there should always be a people leader on the exec team, you know, working hand in glove with the founder and CEO. And I think it's also just to kind of back up what you said, I think we've also seen increasingly a huge number of COOs, of GMs, of founders, of other people just kind of proactively pivoting out of those functional areas to become a chief people officers. And it's great to see because um, that wasn't necessarily always a move you, you saw 10 years ago. Um, and I think that says a lot about the impact that role has and uh, what a fun, albeit challenging gig it, it, you know, it can be. How did you personally find that transition of moving from a chief people officer, you know, working in, in a people function in a startup to starting your own business? And what were some of the most difficult or, or most interesting learnings for you from that process? In the main, I found it exciting, but it was definitely scary as well because it was so it was so different. You know that when you start your own business, the buck stops with you. Whilst when you're in a business, you're accountable for things and you own things, but ultimately you don't have the final say or the final accountability. I found it exciting because I felt that I could have impact in multiple businesses rather than just one business at a time. And I'm really driven by impact, and I am a big fan of just kind of giving things a go. One of my favorite sayings is that you'll miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And I kind of use that to really motivate me to just go for it and see what would happen. That said, it was really scary. And although I'm very commercially minded and I worked very closely with tech teams for years, running and then later leading your own business and your own team is a very different beast and the pressure's really on. I'm really conscious that I don't take that privilege lightly that I do have the livelihoods of people on my shoulders. But not only that, the way I lead or don't lead a business can actually have a huge impact on people's sense of purpose, on their you know day-to-day -day lives being meaningful because we spend so much more time at work than we do anything else, assuming that we're full-time, and just general joy in life. 
sometimes I do find that overwhelming, but it's something that does drive me to keep on just getting better and better and better, I hope. Other than that, as I didn't start Unleashed really to be a big business, it was just going to be a little lifestyle business for me. So it kind of grew organically. I was able to learn along the way and experiential learning is the best way for me to learn. I could kind of build it piece by piece by piece and actually take my time, which I recognize isn't something that many founders have the luxury of having. Yeah. And I think that that last point is resonates a lot with me because I, you know, I started the business 10 years ago now, not thinking it would go anywhere. I didn't really tell anyone because of, I was so nervous of it failing miserably that I kept it quiet from from, from most people for, for a year or two. And then gradually just like unleashed, we've grown organically. And I think there's something, I think this is the year of the bootstrapped founder. I think it's something I'm really keen to talk more about on the podcast and really promote because I think in, you know, we've had years of growth at all costs and all the vanity metrics that come with VC-backed businesses. And don't get me wrong, like you, I work with them and I'm very excited for them and I don't want them to go anywhere. But I also think there's a lot to be said, you know, for promoting uh, founders that have done it the other way. And it is hard, but it's very, very rewarding. But like you, I found it, you know, giving your baby away and, and, and evolving as a leader and suddenly having the pressure of having lots of people's, you know, rent on your, on your shoulders. That's a, yeah, that's, a, it's, it's a big thing. And I, I, I think there's, uh, I think there'll be more people um, going down this path and, and I think it's okay. I think, I guess my point is it's okay to build a lifestyle business. There's nothing wrong with that. Just because you've got a lifestyle business, it doesn't mean you don't have any ambition and it doesn't mean you can't grow. And that's kind of been my mantra. Um, and I said that a, a founders uh, sort of for a, a kind of a networking thing. And it was amazing how many people came up to me afterwards going, God, I need to hear that. I feel such pressure to build this beast of a business that I know I'm not equipped to run. And some, I just needed to hear somebody else say it out loud that it's okay to build at my own pace. And so it's great that you said that because I feel this is a kind of consistent theme that's coming up in conversation at the moment. I think what's really nice about being bootstrapped um even though it means that you can't necessarily grow too quickly, is the flip side because you can't grow too quickly. You can be really intentional about how you do things, which can then later on enable more pace if that's what you decide to do as well. Definitely, definitely. We've teased our listeners with a few snippets about Unleashed, but uh, it would be great to hear the, the kind of origin story from you around kind of what the business does, how did that initial idea uh, come to you? Yeah, we'd love to sort of kill the suspense now and, and get straight into it. <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, who we are, what we do and how we got here is definitely one of my favorite topics to, to talk about. So you might need to interrupt me <laughs> if you want me to talk about something else. Basically, our, our, our mission is, is actually really big and uh, multidimensional, so not basic at all. We do feel that putting people first and putting people at the heart of business strategy, we're enabling the sustainable scaling and holistic success of organizations. And basically, in short, what that means is that we help businesses to grow through their people and culture and to be successful in a holistic way through their people and through their culture. So I'll, I'll come back to what actually that, that means in practice. But from a founding story perspective, what I found was that there are a lot of businesses and startups in particular that were trying to scale super quickly and for understandable reasons of both capacity and capability within the founding team, they weren't able to put enough focus on the people and culture side of things. You know, Rightly, there needs to be focus on developing a product and then of selling that product as well. 
But what we often saw was that by the time people were ready to think about, okay, so what kind of people strategy do we want? How do we want to attract really great people? How, how, How do we want to retain them and develop them? They were often already at the Series B stage where in you know, VC-backed businesses where from the investor's perspective, they were thinking, right, well, you've proved that you've got a good product. You've proved that it's, you know, people want to buy it. Now you really have to get this kind of hockey stick growth. But internally, what was happening was that people were starting to think, well, what actually are our priorities? Where's my progression? I haven't had a pay rise in a while. I'm not clear on what's being communicated anymore. Someone is being hired over me. I wanted a generalist role. Now my role is becoming far more specialist. How do I know if I'm performing really well? Things just seem to be different. I'm not involved in as many decisions. And all of these cracks would start to appear that often would get plastered over by introducing a framework or a process or a tool, but not really acknowledging kind of the initial causes of why of why that happened. All of these issues and challenges can be and really should be, but I am, I am biased about this, should be thought about in advance. And what I actually found was that there wasn't anyone helping founders with these side of things, with these challenges. The only types of people at the time, certainly there are more now, but at the time helping startup founders were either interims who would come in, plaster over, thing, over things and then leave again, or large corporate consultants charging extortionate rates for tech startups, or people who were really focused on very specific and isolated areas such as employer brand or performance or pay. But this is kind of like a really modular way of working when it comes to people and culture, and it's really rare that there isn't a heap of crossover between them. So I decided to do something different and to start something that meant that I could work with early-stage businesses albeit we work with much bigger businesses now as well, but early stage businesses in order to help them look at people and culture in a much more holistic way and with much more intention in terms of how they align their behaviours to what it is that they want to achieve. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. And your website says HR is dead, long live people, which I love, but it is a provocative statement. So can you explain what you mean by this? Yeah. So so, so for me, this is very much around And actually, it's traditional HR that gives HR a bad name, which is why I wanted to be very clear on the website that we are not what people think HR is. We are very different. Traditional HR or or the perception of it is certainly that it's very policy driven. It's compliance focused. It doesn't take the needs of individuals into account. And in fact, traditional HR in, in that sense doesn't serve either people And it doesn't add value to businesses either. So in today's world, where actually people and businesses need to align and be, as I mentioned earlier, kind of be very much intertwined, having a people and culture approach, which can incorporate some elements of HR, but it's not driven by policy and compliance. It's driven by needs of people and businesses is actually the best way to add value and to make sure that businesses can be successful as they grow and and, and as they achieve their goals. We, we, one of the things that we like we we talk about one of the big differences being is is that the best way of treating people is not as if they're resources but instead by working with them to create something amazing rather than seeing them as as resources that work for you yeah that's so important thank you nick before we crack on i want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts to learn from 
It's called Secret Leaders, and they show what it really takes to build great businesses. They interview founders from companies like Monzo, Brewdog, Before the Scandals, HubSpot, Joe Malone, all the big names to find out how they've done it. You get to peer behind the curtain and discover what makes some people successful leaders. What were the key turning points in their lives? How do you make big decisions? What advice do they have for you? Find out more on the Secret Leaders podcast. You clearly, and, and I know that it's not just early stage founders now, it's, you know, you have a broad client base, but you do work very closely with founders. You've alluded to it a bit, but it'd be good just to, for anyone that's listening to this that might be an early stage founder in a startup that may need your help. Are you able to explain just a little bit more about kind of the impact some of your work has had maybe recently or over the years and why they should reach out if they need, because I think it's one of those things you might think you can crack on, but as you mentioned, the cracks will start to appear and you can really see the impact of your work. So I'd love you to be able to talk a bit about it. So we've got three main, I guess you could call them products, embedded partnerships, projects that are mainly on the cultural side of things and um, leadership development. What, What we found previously is that And what we find continuously, in fact, is that most businesses, especially in their earlier days, have three main challenges around attracting incredible people when they don't yet have a brand or or, or even much money, how to make sure that those people are really high performing and highly engaged. And from a leadership perspective, the founders really struggling to kind of take themselves out of the weeds and to, we call it kind of scaling themselves upwards, if you like, as the business scales outwards. So we've developed those three products to help with those three main challenges. But they are very broad because helping people to be highly productive and highly engaged incorporates everything on a people journey as well. So in terms of the way that we work, one of the things that's really important to us is that we create tailored and bespoke solutions for businesses. For us, having a modular approach to these things just doesn't work because you're not taking into consideration the broader nuance and the gray that exists within people. As an example, um, if it's helpful, if a business has got a problem with performance, for example, it's not that introducing a performance management system or tool is actually going to do the trick. The performance problems could be from mishires. It could be from not onboarding people properly. It could be from people not feeling psychologically safe in their environment. It could be from people not understanding what great performance looks like. It could be from a really bad manager So there are so many things that it could be that if you look at things very modularly, then you you don't necessarily fix the right problem. You're only kind of plastering over things, which is what I was alluding to earlier, doesn't actually work. So if a business reaches out to us for support um, to help them achieve their goals, we're likely to work with them in in a deep partnership. We would start with what we call a discovery, which has a leadership team workshop to understand the kind of culture they want and why. We do a deep dive to be clear on their current practices and processes in order to understand the scalability of those. We carry out a company-wide engagement survey to make sure that we understand the needs and wants and desires of the wider team. And we also have one-to-ones with key stakeholders to understand their challenges. And off the back of all of that information, we're then able to create a roadmap that we co-prioritize with the founders or the leaders in order for us then to be able to build practices and experiences and develop a culture with the leadership team as part of their team over a period of time as well, where we've truly understood them, not just implementing something that has been done before somewhere else, because that's unlikely to work. It doesn't take into account 
the specific business and the people within them. Great. Thank you very much, Nick. I think we hear consistently, I guess, the reason we're in a job is that hiring, retaining talent, building great teams and culture and inclusive cultures, they're often the hardest parts of a founder's journey, particularly in the early days, getting it right. We know can be critical to your success or failure. What are some of the sort of common mistakes that you see early stage companies make when it comes particularly to people and culture? And what advice do you have for any founders listening that are looking, maybe just starting this journey, keen to avoid any of those mistakes? Yeah, it's um, the main mistakes that we see are people believing that their culture will grow organically and it's a product of what they have rather than creating it as a product intentionally. I think what's really important, kind of the biggest advice I would give to any founder starting out, or even if their business is, is a little bit further down the line, if they've not taken the time to do this, but it's always easier to build culture than it is to transform it, is to think, actually, what kind of business do I want to have? What kind of culture does that mean? What does that look like in practice? What kind of leader do I want to be? And therefore, how do I align my behaviors, the decisions I make with those intentions? And it's really having those intentions as key pillars as to why or they why they do or why they don't do anything, which is going to really help with that. The other thing I'd say is around communication. And I'm actually guilty of this. I think we all are sometimes is thinking that we've communicated something yeah. clearly, but actually it hasn't landed in the way that we've we thought it was communicated. So over-communicating is really important and doing so in different ways. So perhaps, you know, if we're working in hybrid environments, for example, which many of us are, you might record a video, you might write something down, you might say it in person, and those three things won't be enough. You'll need to reshare them and do it again in different ways. Have somewhere where you can have your source of truth if anybody has any questions about it. So communication is really important. And I think the third thing aligned with communication is actually a mistake that I see a lot where in the early days, founders will be really excited to share their story. So, And our brains love stories, by the way. So this works really well to get people motivated and feeling like they're working in a very purposeful company. You know, Why is it that they started the business? What was tough about it? What are they wanting to achieve? Where are we now? What was great? What have we learned? Where are we going? what we expect to be tough, what things are we excited about along the way. In the early days, we're really good at doing that because that's what we've got to motivate people. And that seems to disappear and dwindle to the sidelines as we get bigger and bigger. And actually, it's really important to keep that that purpose and that meaningfulness alive. Such good advice. And I, can, um, I think that, that final point is just something that we, we hear so often because that every candidate we talk to from you know, somebody that's two years into their careers to a veteran COO or, or chief revenue officer is they are looking for purpose and meaning yeah. and where they can have an impact and where they can, you know, really align themselves to common values or whatever it might be. But it's often about this purpose and having a mission. You just will not attract the best talent if you can't articulate that firstly. And then if you are able to attract that talent, then you've got to continue to bang the drum about you why do. what you're doing is so important to the world yeah. and how they can have a key role in that journey. And I think we're all, I'm guilty of it as a founder, you know, you can kind of run out of steam at times and not communicate enough. But actually, that's the thing that I think gets me out of bed every morning. So sometimes you just need to remind those that aren't kind of uh, yeah. founders that you still care, you still believe in it um, right. and get everyone pumped and aligned to that. 
Yeah, I think it's super yeah. important. It's very easy to get caught up in the weeds of what you do and the day-to-day all the time and kind of forget sure. about the why and it's that that needs reminding in order to actually also be working on the right things because if you've lost focus on the on the why and you're just doing lots of what's it might not be right for where you're headed as a business very true very true one question that that we find founders kind of wrestling with is when is the right time to build and invest in a people function or hire the first people person versus outsourcing and and bringing in a company like unleashed like what are your thoughts on that I wish I could give you the answer that the right per, you know, it's the right time when you've got X number of people or you're at a particular stage. Unfortunately, there is no one answer to this, which is why people struggle <laughs> with understanding when, when to do that. I think the advice that I'd share around this is to hire a people person before you actually need the people person because their work is going to be really important in setting things up for growth. So, for example, if you're planning, you know, if you're raising a Series A investment and in your mind, you know, you're getting lots of money and you're planning to grow from 20 people to 100 people in the next 18 months, don't hire your people person in the middle of that growth because it's mm. always going to be re- reactive and trying to retrofit things. Hire them early so they can help with that planning and they can help with that growth because it's not just attracting people. It's also retaining them and developing them and motivating them. So there's so much more that's really important there. And at the same time, you're also going to be growing your leadership team. And your leadership team mm-hmm. needs to be filled with people who are also going to be coming into the business and feeling that they can take a lead in that growth. And therefore, having a people person to be able to do that with them as well is re- really important to set that up for, for success. You can when it comes to like external consultants or, or, or hiring a, a head of people internally or creating a team, you can do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. The important thing is to have those conversations early. Speak yeah. to your board, speak to advisors, speak to people who've been there and done that before. Talk to them about the difference it's made, if they have or if they haven't. And what we've typically seen is that founders who have been around the block at least once or twice and have had previous businesses they will always, I think without exception, hire a people person sooner the second time around than they did the first time around because they've recognized the value of that role and the kind of the challenges if there isn't someone helping you. Yeah, no, thank, thank you very much. That's really great advice. Before we come on to talk about talent, which I, I'm understandably really interested in your thoughts on, another question that, or another topic that seems to come up a lot is when you have you know, these amazing early stage startups with these incredible cultures. And then as they scale, things go wrong. And they're, you know, they find it very difficult to maintain what they had, which is probably pretty unrealistic. But but I'd keep keen to hear your thoughts on like, what tips or tricks or advice can do you have for any founders about how to evolve cultures in a sort of in a sustainable way without losing some of those foundations that you built early on that often are, you know, really important part of attracting great talent. Yeah, I, I think that the the main thing there is kind of really understanding what your values are and what are the go areas and no go areas that you're you, that you're happy to kind of explore. When I talk about values, it's not just about kind of four useless words on a wall. It's really actually how is it that you're going to work? How is it as a business you are going to make decisions? 
and apply behaviors. And actually, it's not even the values themselves that are really important. It's the behaviors that you're expecting that fall within those values that are important to embed. We have, I guess, to give a kind of live example of kind of scaling culture, we have three values, bias to action, and in brackets, we put kind of afterthoughtful reflection. It's not action at, at all costs. We have positive impact and continuous learning. And we use those three things in terms of how we do things. We also have two what we call pillows. They're pillars. Pillows is a very internal phrasing for, for a number of different um, funny reasons. But they are team happiness and delivering excellence. So we use those two pillars to, if we do X, Y, Z, is it going to increase team happiness? And is it, they're not isolated and they have to align together. And is it going to improve excellence in the delivery Mm. of our work? And if the answer is yes to both of those, then we're likely to make that decision. How we then deliver on that decision, we use our values to enable that. And I think that's how you, you evolve and grow culture. But it's predominantly also about speaking to your team. So never to do it in isolation, never to think, oh, I just want to change mm-hmm. my culture. But it's mm-hmm. keeping things very intentional and speaking to your team. And it's not easy at all. There will be things where you need to think about, actually, is this the right decision? It is a decision I would have made when we were 20 people, but it can no longer be a decision now that we're, we're 100 people. Why is that? Explore it and explain it. And it's that communication, that understanding the why is really critical in that as well. Such good advice. And and are there particular companies out there that you've seen do this sort of brilliantly and, and, and sort of great examples to kind of look at or look up to? It's really actually hard with uh, identifying specific businesses with all of this because there are so many businesses that do certain aspects really well mm. and you actually only hear of the things that those businesses either want you to hear or that reporters have managed to somehow harness. I think we know of examples that stand out from a perspective of, say, Airbnb have done a really great job with that. And they do a really good job as a bigger business, both when they've grown, but also they've had to downsize as a business as well. And, And they've kept their values forefront in doing that and were kind of very much heralded as a business who had very clear and fair processes around all of that. There's other companies, you know, we see Elon Musk at the at the helm of Twitter now who is doing what seems to be a terrible job there and we hear from those people. But from a smaller business perspective, we've got loads of clients that do an excellent job as they're as they're growing, you know. But unfortunately they're companies that not many people necessarily have heard of. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. Well, th- thanks for, for sharing that. And and in terms of coming on to the talent side of uh, the people in talent space, we mentioned earlier how, how important you know, it, it can make or break companies. Um, getting If you get the right hire early doors, it can be transformational. If you get it wrong, it can often have huge ramifications. So for any founder listening to this in 2023, I think it's probably going to be less hyper growth, hundreds of uh, uh, a hires to be made type hiring, but critical hiring. I think when people are going to be hiring this year, it will be really essential roles. So what advice do you have for them? And then on the flip side of that, we also know it's going to be more important than ever to uh, retain your talent this year. So for both of those seasons, what advice can you give around attraction and retention of talent? Yeah, I, and, and actually, I'd be really, really happy to hear your thoughts with the attracting piece, James, because you're definitely the expert in, in this space. But what, and I completely agree with you, though, that 2023 is going to be a much tougher year for recruitment. 
It's not going to be about numbers. It's going to be definitely about quality of hire and making sure there's kind of the, the right fit there. For me, the most important thing to, to attracting the best people for your business is really understanding you and your business and communicating what you are and what you're not from mm. a cultural perspective, but also from, from other perspectives, really honestly and really clearly. Having being able to have open discussions about that, about what works and what doesn't work, and making sure that the individual you're interviewing is also able to share, you know, where their strengths are and where their areas of development are and do those two things line up and having it much more of a discussion than interviews ever used to be. I know we've been talking for, you know, for 10 years about interviews being two-way streets, but this now needs to be actually almost no longer an interview and a discussion about are you the right fit for us and are Mm. we the right fit for you and really kind of getting deep around that making sure that people's expectations are, are, are really clear i think is going to be going to be key to that beyond that as far as where you attract people i think that's very, you know that's that's your your skill set <laughs> versus mine but i would say that discussion that, uh, and being really meaningful about what you're going to achieve together mm, is important to attracting people completely agree and I think actually we're going to see, particularly at the more senior ends, candidates are going to ask harder questions around, mm-hmm. you know, financials and transparency and openness around those things are going to be super important. I completely agree. And I think it's going to be a really good thing in many ways to open up these processes. And I think you might lose people because of it, because they don't like what they hear, but that's no bad thing. I think uh, the less like selling for selling's sake we do, and the more honest we are, I think the better for everybody. I also think from an attraction perspective, I guess part of what we're seeing is, as I mentioned earlier is around purpose banging the yeah. drum consistently it's building personal brands and really making sure your value proposition is really well articulated and that also I think you have a chance to meet lots of different people not just the founder but also people across the business and, and investors and you know get a full holistic view of the organization and I think candidates really appreciate you know, that because, uh, you know, they shouldn't just be forced into a bunch of interviews with the same old people actually really getting a a really good view of all of the business, I think will be helpful in 2023. I could talk about this for hours, (laughs) 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 but I'm conscious we're kind of getting towards the end. My last question for the wrap up questions, Anik, is just um, when we look at the next year ahead, how do you see the people function evolving? And are there any particular trends that you can see coming down the line or that you're looking forward to seeing evolve? Yeah, I think there are lots of differences. And it, 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 from a people kind of trends perspective, I can think of really of kind of five main differentiated ones. There are lots within those, of course, the kind of main ones being around employee well-being as like a human imperative. And I don't just mean from a mental and physical health perspective, but actually, particularly in the coming year from a financial health perspective. And we're mm. seeing lots of businesses start to really focus on how they can financially support their teams, not just from the perspective of salary or bonuses if they give them or anything like that, but actually from a benefits. If we've got X money to spend, how are you going to find that most valuable for your life? I know asking the individuals or getting kind of financial coaches in. So we're seeing a lot of that starting or people thinking about that. Flexibility, now that's been around for a long time. But I think that's going to continue. Yeah. The need for that's going to continue to increase very much as a trend and as a challenge as well. But people need to be able to do the best work that they can do or the best work of their lives that are going to make them 
feel like they're adding lots of value and, and meaning in a way that suits them as well. And that's not easy to manage if you have a team of however many people and they all like to work in in different ways, but that's something to, to it's a challenge to work out. ESG reporting as well. There, there's a lot mm-hmm. of demands which are on the rise of that. And that's actually from a, the demand for that comes from talent and people who who so either are in your business already or people who want to come in and work in your business. They want to know what you're doing for ESG purposes. And that actually includes now the drive for inclusion of a diverse team. So what it is that you're doing in order to make that a reality. Second to last that I'm going to kind of mention on this, because again, I can talk about some of this stuff for a very long time, is what we used to call the soft skills are actually the hard skills of growing a business. And and leadership and management development is definitely at the forefront of a lot of organizations who might not have the budgets at the moment to attract lots of very senior kind of heavyweights that have got that experience and actually developing the internal skill set of your or the skill set of your internal team rather so that they can create high performing places to work and they can develop their teams is really important and lastly hybrid is here to stay i know there are some teams you're really really trying to push to be all back in office or some team, teams really kind of trying to be all at home but hybrid's here to stay and we just need to really define as individual businesses what success looks like for us in the hybrid because it means different things to different people and communicate that clearly. Amazing. Thank you, Nick. I completely agree with those. And I'd like to do, we'll have to do a round two in, in a year or so's time just to see see how, how far along we are with some of these and, uh, yeah. and, and what else is, is coming around the corner. We're sadly at the end, so I wanted to just ask our, our three wrap-up questions. So mm-hmm. firstly, in one sentence, what do you think the future holds for Unleashed? Extremely exciting and purposeful with businesses who believe culture and people experience are the key to success globally. That's amazing. What a sentence. And if you could be mentored by anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? It's a really tough one. I think Barack Obama, highly values driven in his decision making, tough, but thoughtful and really resilient. That said, I'm really surprised by myself by choosing a politician, actually. <laughs> so if I could cheat and go for a second, I'm going to say Serena Williams, just for pure nice. determination and drive to be incredible in both her profession and as a mother as well. Yeah, what a great answer. Such an inspiration. And finally, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received that you can pass on to our 40-minute mentor listeners? So this is less advice, but a quote that I was told that has stuck with me and I consider it as advice for me and and, and I love to live by it. And the quote is, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. Nice. I think we all need a bit of that in our, uh, our life, that quote this year, because, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that we know there's, there's hard times ahead, but actually we can adapt to it. And, uh, yeah, I think re- re- the resilience that comes off the back of harder times can be, you know, a game changer, particularly as founders who uh, there's going to be a lot of them listening to this. That's an amazing place to end this. Thank you, Anuk. So nice to see you as always. I hope 2023 is an incredible year for you and Unleashed. I'm sure it will be. And we're just very grateful that you've taken the time out of a very busy schedule to share your story and mentorship with us all. So thank you very much. I had a great time. Thank you so much, James. I always love catching up with Anouk and it was an absolute honour to have her on the podcast to kick off International Women's Day month for us. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. And I really hope that it's going to help you when it comes to scaling your team or retaining your talent. Definitely check out Unleashed and the amazing work they're doing via the links in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you're enjoying this series so far, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platforms. That's everything from us today, but do feel free to get in touch on info at jbmc.co.uk if there's anything that we can do to help or if you have any suggestions of how we can make 40 Minute Mentor even better. See you again next week for another dose of pocket-sized career mentorship. 